Welcome to Tech Talk. Bye. CDT. Welcome to CDT's Tech Talk, where we dish on tech and internet policy while also explaining what these policies mean to our daily lives. I'm Jamal Magby, and it's time to talk tech. On March 5th, 2020, a bipartisan group of 10 U.S. senators introduced the Earn It Act, a sweeping bill that will have implications for everyone's safety online. This bill, a well-intentioned act to combat child sexual exploitation online, threatens to erode free speech protections on online platforms, poses a serious threat to end-to-end encryption and secure communications, and may jeopardize prosecution of child sexual exploitation. Here to discuss some of the implications this new bill may have are Mana Azarmi, Policy Counsel, Hannah Quay DeLavale, Senior Technologist, and Liz Woolery, Deputy Director of the Free Expression Project for the Center of Democracy and Technology. Ladies, thank you so much for being here today. First off, for those who don't know, could you explain what the Earn It Act is and what it hopes to accomplish? Sure. The primary thing that the Earn It Act does is that it makes a website's liability for what its users post contingent on that website abiding by a set of to-be-determined best practices that specifically target child sexual abuse material. So right now, uh, websites of, of all shapes and sizes that host user-generated content, so that's Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, uh, the local newspaper that has a comment section, those websites are all protected from being held liable or responsible for what their users post under a law known as Section 230. Section 230 is great uh, because it really provides a level playing field. Uh, small startups that don't have the legal or financial resources to review every single word a user posts can have a chance of competing against the big guys. Uh, but under the Earn It Act, however, this isn't going to be the case because websites of all these different sizes are going to be required to certify that they adhere to this set of to-be-determined best practices. Um, and those best practices are going to be put together by a team of, of uh, a commission of 19 people, I believe, led by the Attorney General. And um, the commission is really kind of stacked, uh, stacked with law enforcement and government interests. If Earn It is passed, these people will be the ones to dictate a set of best practices that all companies must follow unless they want to risk opening themselves up to being sued and brought to court for um, something that one of their, their thousands or millions or billions of, of users said, which under normal circumstances um, under Section 230 wouldn't necessarily be the case. So these companies would essentially have to earn the protection of, two, of Section 230, is that correct? That's correct. That's where the name comes from, is that uh, these companies would have to earn that, uh, that protection from liability by certifying that they have adhered to this set of best practices. We've heard about the Earning Act um, being a threat to end-to-end -end encryption. So, Hannah, could you explain uh, more about um, the implications this would cause if, if the Earning Act is passed? So, uh, to understand how the Earning Act could threaten end-to-end -end encryption, you sort of have to know what end-to-end -end encryption is. And end-to-end -end encryption basically means encryption where decryption is only possible for the people on the two endpoints of the conversation. So if I send Jamal a message, I can read it, Jamal can read it, and nobody else can. And a lot of current messaging systems that are not end-to-end -end encrypted, the platform that we're messaging over also actually has the capability to read that. So um, if I were to send a message to Jamal over the platform Messenger or whatever, 
uh, I could read it, Jamal could read it, but also the messenger platform itself could decrypt it and read it. Now, the reason that EarnIt in particular, so end-to-end -end encryption, where only Jamal and I can read it, obviously has a lot of security benefits, right? I don't have to worry about bad actors on the platform. I don't have to worry about um, if they get hacked and my message gets leaked to the, the wider world. But because the messaging platform itself can't read the message, that means that they can't do things like scanning, right? They can't check all of their messages to make sure that those messages don't contain illegal material. Uh, they can't check all of those messages for the presence of CSAM. So, if one of the best practices in the EARNIT Act says something like, scan all messages for the presence of CSAM, well, that means that they have to be able to access all those messages, right? So the platforms then can't use end-to-end -end encryption, they have to use sort of a weaker form of encryption where they themselves can access the message. Now, that of course then opens that up to all of the security threats that I mentioned before. What if there's a bad actor on that platform? What if they get hacked? Um, what if even they get bought and sold and the message gets passed around and now somebody else owns it with a very different privacy policy than the original platform? Uh, so it's a pretty serious weakening of the overall security of the message system. So with end-to-end -end encryption, what, is there any realm where we could potentially have a backdoor that only certain actors or government um, officials could access? Yeah, that would be great, right? Like if we could say only super trusted people can access this backdoor, but the reality is that doesn't tend to be how it works. Um, it's incredibly hard to secure a backdoor to the point that no bad actor could ever use it uh, because it's sort of an obvious weakness in the system, right? Like if it's an end-to-end -end system, you have to target one of the endpoints, but if you know that there's a backdoor in the system that would let you access basically all of the messages on that platform, well, that's the place where an attacker is gonna focus their efforts, right? right. Um, and historically, like, it's just incredibly difficult to protect a backdoor. I mean, there was a uh, initiative in the 90s, I believe, called the Clipper Chip, which was essentially exactly what we're talking about. It was a backdoor that, you know, the idea was governments could access it, but nobody else could. What ultimately happened is researchers found a hole in that backdoor that would have made it accessible to basically any attacker. Um, and that was, you know, a lot of very smart minds working on that. It's really, really hard to do correctly. Um, and that's setting aside all of the issues of just, it's pretty hard also in government to just prevent sort of uh, purpose, purpose expansion, right? So you have this backdoor that you want to use for scanning for CSAM, for child exploitation material. Well, how do you then make sure that doesn't get repurposed for copyright, right? Which is the thing that, you know, we might have a really different opinion about the pros and cons of scanning for copyright versus scanning for CSAM, but once you have that backdoor, it becomes pretty difficult to ensure that it doesn't get repurposed for other things, even legally. And on speaking on repurposing, um, Mana, I wanted to check with you and see um, if these backdoors were to open, could this possibly be a way for governments to surveil, um, to surveil in other arenas, such as maybe immigration or, or anything like that? Um, it's a good question. And I think that builds off of what Hannah just said. Once law enforcement has access to something, in this case, a backdoor, um, there is this risk that um, it gets 
repurposed um, or, you know, there's mission creep um, that law enforcement will find other uses um, for this new access. So, yes, this is a very real concern um, that you just pointed out. And how does the Earn It Act threaten prosecutions of sexual exploitation, Lana? Yeah, so this is the, the Fourth Amendment issue that a number of advocates have raised um, with respect to uh, this proposal. Um, the Earn It Act, in short, risks turning private companies, um, so the entities that you know Liz mentioned, providers of online services like social media platforms, um, email, cloud storage, um, et cetera, and the agents of the government for purposes of the Fourth Amendment, which could result in courts suppressing evidence of the child sexual exploitation crimes that the bill seeks to target, which means, so the whole purpose of this bill is to encourage, induce, coerce, um, whatever word you want to use, um, to make companies uh, earn their Section 230 um, protection um, by identifying and taking down TSAM. The whole purpose of this is to facilitate um, the protection of children and prosecuting those who create, distribute, and receive CSAM. Um, CSAM is child sexual, sexual exploitation material. Um, and the Fourth Amendment risk here uh, is that the very purpose behind this bill could backfire because of its structure. And um, to explain this a little better, I need to take a couple steps back. Uh, so under existing federal law, um, providers must report any CSAM that they find on their platforms to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, also known as NECMEC. Um, NECMEC reviews these reports and passes them onward to law enforcement. And this current statute says if providers know about CSAM, they have to report it. And uh, this mens rea standard of having actual knowledge is really significant. Um, and what's happening right now in industry uh, even though the knowledge standard is just knowing, um, a lot of providers have voluntarily undertaken processes uh, to identify, um, to facilitate the identification and reporting of CSAM. So they use filtering tools um, to automatically find and report CSAM that might be on their platforms. Um, but there's no obligation for them to do this because uh, this federal law says they only have to have actual knowledge of the CSAM on their platforms. Um, and this voluntary component is super important in the Fourth Amendment context. Um, the Fourth Amendment protects people uh, against unreasonable searches and seizures by the government. Um, for a search to be reasonable, it usually requires a warrant supported by probable cause. Um, this is why uh, the police um, get a warrant prior to entering your home or get a warrant prior to searching and seizing um, the contents of your email um, or chat communications. Private companies, however, are not governed um, by the Fourth Amendment. Um, it doesn't apply to them. However, a private entity can be transformed into an agent of the government if the search at issue occurs at the direction of the government, not because the private company is the one choosing to do it. Um, and if a private entity becomes an agent of the government, the Fourth Amendment applies to them. If there's no warrant secured prior to a search, the search becomes unreasonable. And the remedy in that situation is exclusion. So the product of the search likely couldn't be used in a prosecution. Um, so in this case, 
if the government tells providers to go look for CSAM, providers won't get a warrant, the evidence collected as a product of that search will be excluded, and it will make it more difficult, or likely will be excluded, and it will make it more difficult to hold uh, the people who harm children responsible. And this is a really large issue constantly being tested in CSAM prosecutions. Uh, so I mentioned that providers certainly voluntarily scan for CSAM. They report that material to NECMEC, and then NECMEC coordinates with law enforcement. Defendants have tried in the past to challenge what providers are currently doing, and have thus far been unsuccessful because courts look at the current statute and point out that there's no obligation for providers to run these searches. Uh, they're acting as a private entity. However, with respect to NECMEC, the defendant was able to successfully contend that what NECMEC does and how Congress has intervened in granting it certain statutized powers makes NECMEC either a government entity or a government agent. And this case is United States v. Ackerman. And in that case, um, the defendant allegedly sent CSAM using his AOL account. AOL flagged that email via its filter that it voluntarily used. Um, or and it implemented, sent the report to NECMEC without looking at the email. A NECMEC analyst opened that email, looked at the attachments, affirmed that they were CSAM, and sent it off to law enforcement. And the defendant then argued that NECMEC, um, a nonprofit uh, fashioned through a statutory framework that produces this special relationship between NECMEC and law enforcement, was a government entity requiring a warrant to search the contents of that email. And the defendant was successful, and this has made the work that NECMEC does in this case more difficult, um, but not impossible. Um, so this is a real threat, and we're concerned that the Earn It Act will have the effect of transforming private companies into agents of the government because of the bill's coercive structure, um, as Liz explained at the top of this podcast. Uh, first. The bill conditions Section 230 shields against lawsuits um, for prosecutions for CSAM um, unless providers comply with a set of these best practices um, or uh, certify that they comply with these best practices or they implement um, unspecified reasonable measures um, aimed at achieving, achieving that same goal. Um, this alternative of implementing reasonable measures is not really a choice as providers would still have to go litigate in court the question of whether or not its measures are reasonable. Um, so providers will feel immense pressure to comply with the best practices and self-certify. Um, and as Hannah and Liz both mentioned, these best practices will undoubtedly include some filtering requirements. Um, so what providers are doing now, filtering through content, looking for CSAM. Um, the second thing the bill does um, that's coercive and has the effect, we think, of potentially transforming these providers into agents of the government, is the bill reduces the mens rea for providers' liability um, from actual knowledge to recklessness. So providers would become liable for a new set of uh, civil penalties if they just recklessly rather than knowingly provide a service that people can use to distribute CSAM. Um, and this will have the effect of coercing providers um, into looking for CSAM. So it's possible that a court evaluating EARNIT when a defendant challenges, um, if, if EARNIT is passed and, you know, several years have, um, have passed since it's been implemented and um, a defendant can challenge this law, it's possible that a court evaluating this could determine that this structure 
is the effect of government telling the provider to run the search and then put the prosecution of a wrongdoer in jeopardy because of that remedy I mentioned, that the evidence could be excluded. Um, so at the very least, this is a very fine line that Congress is walking, and it's part of why we're alarmed by the bill. Wow, that is extremely alarming. Um, I, and this goes out to the larger group. Is there a way to protect our privacy as Americans while also working to fight this childhood, this child sexual exploitation online? How do we, how do we work through that? So one of the challenges with uh, kind of with legislating in this space is that there's actually a pretty significant hurdle to informed policymaking. There's not a lot of uh, available kind of information uh, with respect to how uh, how referrals work from coming from the tech companies to law enforcement um, and and then kind of NCMEC's involvement in that. In particular, there's not a lot of insight into the number of kind of successes or failures uh, that have happened or end up happening as a result of, of these investigations. So it's really difficult to kind of get a good idea of the actual landscape in which we are working right now. So one of the things that um, CDT would, would strongly encourage is uh, just kind of general uh, efforts to increase accountability and transparency um, from all of the, the entities involved here, because until we have a, a much better insight into the reality of fighting uh, CSAM materials online, what works and what doesn't, it's going to be difficult, if not impossible, to uh, engage in informed policymaking. Yeah, definitely agree with everything Liz said. Um, I think that there are also ways to even make our existing system more effective, right? So one of the things that has been raised by some of the folks behind Earnit is that tech companies are really, that there's some inconsistency in how they handle this, right? There are tech companies that seem to be handling it pretty well, tech companies that are not so much. So there's a lot of room for tech companies to expand the way that they support law enforcement without actually changing anything that they're doing on the back end, right? So being clear with law enforcement about what they do have access to and what they are able to provide law enforcement. So that's things like metadata, like when a message was sent, uh, you know, even who it was sent to, not necessarily um, the content who was sent to, when it was sent, even things like location data, um, which obviously can be pretty important for like active uh, cases. So there's definitely room for tech companies to just build out their interface with law enforcement more effectively. Um, there's also things that people are working on on the technical side, like increased uh, more effective reporting structures. Uh, so allowing reporting to happen if one of the, the participants in a conversation wants to report something, make that happen more effectively and make that something that companies and then later law enforcement are able to act on more effectively. There's some protocols in place called message franking, which is the kind of idea that you can report in an end-to-end -end system with still being able to like trace some of the things about that report, which could then be important later for prosecution. Uh, so there's certainly things that are happening in the space already without, you know, threatening things like end-to-end -end encryption or raising, you know, first or fourth amendment concerns. One other thing I will mention is the need for additional resources, particularly financial resources um, in this space. You know, we have heard that sometimes tech companies are hearing when, when they are sending referrals to law enforcement agencies that the law enforcement agencies themselves don't have adequate resources to respond to these referrals in a, in a timely manner. And when we're talking about 
child sexual abuse materials, timeliness is, is really key and really critical. So whatever we can do to, to increase the resources uh, that are, are necessary to, to make the, the existing efforts actually effective uh, is another, another approach. Thank you so much for joining us here today. To learn more about CDT's work on encryption, free speech, online, or security and surveillance, Please feel free to visit us at cdt.org and check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at SimDemTech. Thank you so much for joining.